Um, I apologize in advance if I use any weird hand motions. I'm not used to being up here without my guitar, so <laughs> it might get a little strange. Um, but seriously, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a blessing to be able to preach to you. Um, obviously, don't get to do this very often, and so hopefully it'll be a blessing to you as well. Um, let's start things off with a word of prayer. Father, please be with us this morning. May your spirit be here convicting and encouraging our hearts. Lord, I need your spirit this morning more than ever. I spent a lot of time putting words on paper, but God, these words have no power in and of themselves. These thoughts are just, just thoughts without your spirit directing and guiding them to convict and encourage our hearts. And we are powerless to change and help change one another, Father, without your spirit being involved. So God, please come and bless us this morning through your word. Protect me from saying something that might be wrong or false. And make Jesus glorious this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How often do you think about the Spirit's role in your everyday life? How often do you pray for the Spirit to empower you to do something? Do you ever wish that you could see God moving more in the lives of those around you? Maybe in the, in the city around us? Our pipe organ right above us is an amazing piece of machinery. But this organ is powerless to produce sound without air being forced into its wind chests by a bellow or a blower or someone and somebody pressing its keys or foot pedals to push that compressed air through the pipes above it. It takes both the air filling the wind chest and the organist to produce sound. Like this pipe organ, the church is powerless to change the world let alone experience true transformational change without the Spirit of God, the air, filling its people and empowering them to do good works that God, the organist, preordained. Good church marketing efforts do not grow churches. Trendy services, well-thought-out programs, amazing orators, on their own, they are powerless to effect real change in the church or the world around them. Yes, it's true that churches with all of these things grow and maybe have influence. But I think we're wise enough to recognize that size and influence are not the same as healthy. See, without the Spirit of God empowering its people to build up one another, the church will never become more like Jesus and display for the world the glory of our Savior. 
A church without the spirit of God empowering its people is like this lifeless pipe organ above us, silent, powerless on its own to produce anything. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the supernatural power that God has given every one of us who have placed their hope in Jesus. I wanna talk about what it means to serve one another with our spiritual gifts. Our passage this morning can be found in 1 Peter chapter four. That's uh, page 1016 if you're using the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter four, starting in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The main idea that I want you to walk away with this morning is to seek to do everything empowered by the Spirit. Seek to do everything empowered by the Spirit. So you may be asking, what are spiritual gifts? Well, John Piper, in a sermon he preached nearly 40 years ago, helps us with this. He says, a spiritual gift is an expression of faith which aims to strengthen faith. It is activated from faith in us and aims for faith in another. Another way to put it would be this. A spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. So when we speak and we serve one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and a brother or sister is built up in their faith, or an unbeliever comes to see the glory of Jesus, this is us exercising spiritual gifts. It's less about the action or the literal word or deed and more about God's sovereign purpose to use our words and deeds to do something supernatural in another person. People do not change without the transformative work of the Spirit. This transformative work can happen through our Bible reading and our personal time in prayer, but the most impactful way that God uses to transform the hearts and minds of his people are his people, exercising their spiritual gifts through word and deed. So let's look at how the Bible describes spiritual gifts. Number one, they're given by God. 1 Peter 4.10 starts off, it says, as each has received a gift. And 1 Corinthians 12.11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who portions to each one individually as he wills. Spiritual gifts are not something you develop or gain through practice. They're given to you by God, regardless of your age, spiritual maturity, or role in the church. So what's the difference between a skill and a spiritual gift. So years ago, I taught myself to play guitar and sing. And I've used that gift here, right, that talent, sorry, not gift, that talent here to lead worship. But 
It's just that. It's a skill honed over time. It's not a spiritual gift. Over the years, I've written music, some of which I've led you all in. And it's definitely a skill and an art form, but writing music is not a spiritual gift. Now, there have been times where what I have written in these songs has encouraged the body. I've challenged your faith and strengthened it. This is a spiritual gift. These are acts of the Spirit using something I wrote to encourage the body to become more like Jesus. It's not the talent or skill that you have, but rather the effect of God using what you say to build up his body. Number two, they're for one another. 1 Peter 4.10, again, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. My daughter, Etta, and the Geist's daughter, Ellie, have a very special friendship. You know them, you're probably aware of this. Because of that friendship, they have on occasion bought each other gifts. But because they have no actual money of their own to obtain these gifts, their parents are the ones who purchase it for them so that they can give these gifts to one another. For parents who have kids who do this, you might be familiar with this. So when I purchase a gift for my daughter to give to Ellie um, and give it to my daughter, it's not hers to claim as something she owns because she doesn't, because she doesn't, right? The gift has an intended recipient, Ellie. Etta may be the one who physically gives Ellie the gift, right? It's, It's... and the one from whom the gift physically comes, but ultimately she was powerless to obtain the gift on her own. This is much like um, how spiritual gifts work. God gives them to you for someone else. It's not a gift that you own or you can claim as your own, but rather something God is giving to someone else in your life through you. They're not given to you to accomplish that which you set out to accomplish, but that which God has determined that he wants to accomplish through you. There are days that our brothers and sisters in this room need the gift of encouragement. God wants to use you to encourage them, to point them to Jesus. There are days that our brothers and sisters in this room, they need the gift of discernment. And God wants to use you to point them to Jesus. There are days that this body needs the gift of hospitality. God wants to use you to serve the body in that way and point them to Jesus with your gifts of hospitality. Spiritual gifts are given by God to you so that you can share them with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Number four, so the church might be built up. All of this, God uses, whether we speak or serve one another, so that the body is built up, so that we become more and more like Jesus. Number five, everyone has them. Peter's assumption in our passage is that all Christians should speak and serve using their gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes it clear that God apportions to each one individually. There's no one in this room who's a follower of Christ who doesn't have spiritual gifts. 
6. They're varied. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. God uses a diverse and varied set of gifts to build up his church. It's more than a role in the church. Often when we think about spiritual gifts, we think about the big ones, don't we? You may have heard a few of these. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, worship leaders. The last one was a joke. It's okay if you didn't laugh. There are no worship leader roles listed in the Bible. I think we have a tendency to assume that if we don't have one of these more identifiable roles, maybe our spiritual gift doesn't matter that much. Or even worse, maybe we've come to the conclusion that we may not have any spiritual gifts to offer at all. But these are just that, they're roles. God's varied grace of gifts is far more diverse than a few positions in the church because they're designed by God to to address a diverse and varied set of struggles in the body of Christ. Seven, they are a normative rhythm of body life. Romans 1, 11 through 12, Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, Paul has this expectation that they will serve each other with their spiritual gifts. It's not mysterious to Paul or the Romans that this would occur. It's normal, everyday Christian practice. Even when we look at our first Peter passage, there's this expectation that every time we speak and serve, It should be done in the Spirit's power. Serving each other with our spiritual gifts should be normal Christian practice. So what does it look like fleshed out? Well, in our first Peter passage, we see two broad categories of spiritual gifts. I've already mentioned them several times. Speaking and serving. So let's look at the first one. 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, when we speak. So what does Paul mean by oracles of God? It's definitely not a word that we use. I don't think we've ever used. Um, It can sound archaic and mystical. Um, I think because of that, it can be a little bit confusing. The NIV translates this a little bit better for us, I think. Um, It says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. So when we recite scripture to one another, we are speaking the oracles of God, the very words of God to one another. And these words are empowered by the Holy Spirit to not return empty. These words will accomplish that which God intended them to accomplish. When we behold the glory of Jesus through the reading of scripture, there's this very real, supernatural, transformational event that occurs. It transforms us into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. When we speak scripture into each other's lives and the church is built up, we're exercising these spiritual gifts. But scripture is not the only way that God speaks through us. 
There are times that God speaks through us a word that our brothers and sisters need to hear. These words are not new scripture. They're not some new revelation. They don't offer some new truth that doesn't align itself with scripture, but rather there's some word of encouragement or discernment or admonishment to one another that is given by God to you for such a time that it's needed. I can remember an occasion where a brother in Christ in a time of struggle confessed his unbelief to me. I remember without hesitation opening my mouth in response and although my mind was blank as to what to say in response, words just came out. And I could see on my friend's face that he was instantly cut to the heart by these words. His eyes were opened and he recognized the errors of his ways and he repented. It was kind of an amazing experience. But it wasn't some skill or ability on my own part to conjure up words that could convict my friend's heart. After all, this morning, if you can't tell, I am preaching from a word-for-word manuscript so I don't lose my train of thought. I believe that it was, it was the gift of discernment for such a time that needed discernment so that my brother in Christ would not be led astray. Matthew 10, 19 through 20 says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the Father speaking through you. Have you ever felt conviction or encouragement on a Sunday morning? Maybe someone in your life, a parent or a friend, um, said something to you that just broke you spiritually. It was the thing that you needed to hear in that moment. Maybe it encouraged you. Maybe you yourself, you recall a moment in your life where you spoke words into somebody's life and they were encouraged or convicted These are all acts of the Spirit empowering his people to build up the church. So what does Spirit-empowered speech look like? Spirit-empowered words align with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever made someone jump through hoops before you would offer them forgiveness? Have you ever heaped shame on someone in an attempt to motivate them to do the right thing? When we proclaim the false gospels of works and shame, we in a sense say Jesus is accursed. But when we speak empowered by the Spirit, our speech points those around us to Jesus as our only hope and salvation. We exclaim to each other that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, that there is now therefore no condemnation because he bore our shame and our sorrow. Because Jesus forgives us, we freely forgive one another. So when we speak the things that are true about Jesus into each other's lives, we're in a sense saying, Jesus is Lord. 
Spirit-empowered words do more than align themselves doctrinally with Scripture. They align themselves with what Scripture is pointing us to. Jesus, our only hope for salvation. In our passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 4.12, the entire reason Peter calls us to speak and to serve one another with our gifts, as he says here, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Spirit-empowered words are motivated by love. They're motivated by love. When we think about what it means to speak the words of God in the spirit of God, we have to consider how we say it. Because to speak in the spirit of God is to speak how God spoke and from his motivations. I think most of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13.1, which by the way comes right after 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks extensively, we've been reading from, and Paul talks, talks extensively about spiritual gifts in the church. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul calls the pursuit of love right before this a more excellent way. I don't think that he's saying this because he believes gifts and love are somehow in contrast. Um, I think he's saying this to help us understand that one without the other cannot exist. You cannot speak words empowered by the Holy Spirit that do not come from love. When we speak to one another without love, no matter how true the statement is, we're not speaking empowered by the Spirit. So Spirit-empowered words are words that point one another to the truths about Jesus and are motivated by love for one another. The second category of spiritual gifts are service. As we serve. Going back to 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Our culture puts a lot of emphasis on words. After all, words matter. They have real world impact. Just look at what happens when someone tweets something these days. Stocks plummet or rise, people lose their jobs, and media outlets create an entire week's worth of content. They're important for sure, but I think in light of the impact of words, we can in turn place very little importance on service. But God actually puts incredible importance on service. Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And Mark 10, 45 says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God believes that your service matters. He believes that it is not about the size of the service, but the motivation from which you serve. So what does spirit-empowered service look like? Spirit-empowered service is about the one it serves and not about the service itself. It's about the one you serve. I think it's easy for us to look at, at an act of service and judge it based on how practical it is. 
deciding its value and worth based on the amount of time or energy it will take from us or the practicality of its end result. But spirit-empowered service has more to do with the people we serve than the activity itself. Its desires that the people it is serving would be built up and encouraged through the service rendered, not necessarily that the service rendered would have some kind of practical value in and of itself. In the Gospels, we have a beautiful picture of this, Jesus washing his disciples' feet, the lowliest of tasks a servant could ever perform. His ultimate purpose behind his service to his disciples was not really about cleaning their feet, but rather about the example he would set for them by cleaning their feet. He wanted to flip the power dynamic on its head, telling them that if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. See, it wasn't necessarily about the act, it was about the ones he served and his love for them. The disciples' feet would get dirty again. And in that moment, they wouldn't completely understand why he was doing it in the first place. A truth that should be encouraging to any one of us who serve young children who do not yet understand why we serve them. Spirit-empowered service is not about the service itself, but the one we serve. Most acts of service in our lives are mundane. They're repetitive, we mow the lawn, we take out the garbage, do the laundry, wash the dishes, go to work, on and on it goes. Peter's actually telling us that even these things should be done in the power of the Spirit. If we're honest, when it comes to these mundane tasks, we place very little importance on them, don't we? The most spiritual thing we do is ask God to forgive us when we have a bad attitude, we don't feel like doing them. But to God, everything has spiritual impact, and he desires that our service would be spiritually empowered and not treated as if it had no meaning. So how can these mundane ways that we, we serve have impact? When we point the people we are serving to Jesus through our service. Spirit-empowered service points the one you're serving to Jesus. Serving in our children's ministry is less about keeping young children out of the sanctuary so that the adults can listen to the sermon, and more about an opportunity for us to serve like Jesus, to serve these least of these, right? As well as to serve the parents. The mundane tasks that fill our week should have more to do with, the de with, with demonstrating to our families and our friends and our coworkers and those around us the selfless love of Jesus acting out the gospel in everyday service toward one another. When we serve with our focus on living out the example Jesus set for us to serve and not to be served, we point one another to the amazing sacrificial love of Jesus. We literally live out the gospel in front of them. When we do that, people see Jesus. And when people see Jesus, they are transformed to become more like him. 
It doesn't matter how big or how small the task. When we serve as Jesus serves, we point one another to Jesus. This is spirit-empowered service, service that looks at every opportunity to serve as an opportunity to live out the gospel, to give because Jesus gave, to empty ourselves and humble ourselves of all our importance and busyness as Jesus emptied himself and gave his life for us. Isn't this amazing that even the mundane can have eternal significance? So how can we grow in spirit-empowered words and deed? God invites us to participate in his great work. He wants us to see what he is doing and worship him because of it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that those who have much in the way of spiritual gifts should not say to those who have little, I have no need of you. God, who has all the spiritual gifts, and quite literally has no need of us, chooses instead to say, come, participate with me. Join me in what I am doing. I want to work through you. If anyone had the right to say, it's just easier to do this myself, it's certainly God, isn't it? But instead, he invites us into his work. So how do we grow in participating in this great work that God is doing? How do we come to recognize and use these spiritual gifts that, that he has so freely given us to serve one another? I think the answer is in posture. We can't will God to give us more gifts or develop these gifts by training or practice per se, but we can put our hearts and minds into a posture to receive them and be more cognitive of when God gives us these gifts and the need for which God intends them to be used. So there's a couple ways that we can do this. Number one, we can seek them. Paul tells us, desire the higher gifts. And he tells the Romans that he longs to see them to impart a gift. Peter tells us to be good stewards of God's gifts. And in our passage this morning, he commands us to serve one another with these gifts. So I think it's obvious that the Bible, and it's clear that, that God's word calls us to seek out these gifts, to use them. The idea is not to neglect them, but instead pursue the use of them for the building up of the body. So here's one practical first step that you and I can, per, can pursue this morning. We can pray for them. What if every time you approached an act of service, whether it's folding the laundry, changing diapers, mowing the lawn, you name it, we were to pray first, Father, please empower me with your spirit to serve in a way that points my family to Jesus. What would happen if every Sunday morning on your way to church or on your way to community group or LTG, you prayed, Father, please help me to speak and serve in a way that is empowered by your spirit so that my brothers and sisters might become more like Jesus. 
What if every day on your way to work you prayed, Father, help me to speak and serve my bosses and coworkers empowered by your spirit so that they may see the glory of Jesus and come to know him. Brothers and sisters, I guarantee you that if we prayed like that, you would see the spirit of God moving. Secondly, look and listen. We don't do this well, do we? Looking and listening, being attentive, it's not our natural posture. God wants to show us his power. He wants us to see what he is doing so that we can revel and glory in his greatness because when we begin to see him move, we will find ourselves less discouraged less entangled in the things of this earth and more eager to speak and serve one another with our spiritual gifts. And lastly, take action. If you see a need, do something about it. You realize that if you see a need in the body of Christ, that God is revealing that need to you in that moment for you to do something about it, even if it's as simple as praying for them, If your brother or sister is discouraged, pray for the Spirit to give you wisdom and words to encourage encourage them, and then go. Encourage your brother and sister. If you see something that needs to get done, pray that the Spirit will empower empower you to do it in a way that builds up the church, and then roll up your sleeves and get it done. Start where you're at. Start where you see the need first because that is where God wants you to start. Don't worry about having it all figured out. Don't worry about trying to figure out what your spiritual gifts may or may not be. Seek the power of the Spirit in prayer. Look and listen for the ways that God is moving and take action. In conclusion, the part we've all been waiting for, Seek to do everything empowered by the Spirit so that the church may be built up and Jesus made to look glorious. Pray with me. Father, I pray that today, even today, you would empower us with your Spirit to speak and to serve one another in ways that build up your church in ways that point to Jesus alone as our hope and salvation. God, we want to see you move. We want to see you active in our city. We want to see you active in our church and in our families. Lord, help us to live lives that are spirit-empowered, I glorify you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.